When Jesus became our Savior, the Bible says we became joint heirs. Everything that He has is ours at the moment of salvation. But we will only receive as much as through faith in Jesus Christ will reach out and take. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. You know, the Bible says who the sun sets free is free. Now, let me explain something to you just quickly. I want you to keep standing up because we're going to sing just a little bit more. Okay. Who the sun sets free is free. Okay. Do you know that you have more power over your life than anybody? Most of you are acknowledging that, but most of you not believing that. Because we allow outside circumstances to affect internal. Who the sun sets free is free. Indeed. When I was growing up, and I don't know that they give them anymore, but they they used to have things called deeds of ownership. How many old enough to remember? On a house, you would get a title deed on your house. When you look at that passage, who the sun sets free is free in... I'm losing interest already. (laughs) Who the sun sets free is free... Indeed. There's an ownership of your life. And when you give your life to Christ, you transfer ownership. When you don't know Christ, somebody else has ownership. Like it or not, the Bible says you're either property of Christ or property of Satan. Are you calling me a devil word? No, I'm just telling you. The Bible says, know you not whose servant you choose to obey is whose servants you are. There's only one Father you can serve, the Father of heaven or the Father of this earth. You can't serve both. And so when the Bible says, who the Son sets free is free, indeed, your ownership is no longer yours. The Bible says you're bought with a price. Are you, are you understanding? I was bought and paid for by the most precious uh, tool of exchange on this earth. How many know what it was? The blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus is what sets me free. I literally had a spiritual blood transfusion. And so that means that God took the sin 
from me, paying the price for me, making a difference in me. So if I am free indeed, why do I let the outside influences affect the internal attitude? So when we sing this song, I am free to clap. How's the words go? I'm free to run. What is it? Free to run. If I'm free to run. Okay, I'm free to run. What's the rest of the words? Free to dance. I'm free to dance. I'm free to what? Is that the two? Dance and run? No, free to run, free to dance, free to live for you. Oh, free to live for you. Okay. So when the devil is trying to pull you, what do you say? Uh-uh, devil. I'm the property of somebody else. Go talk to him if you want to negotiate. And how many know Jesus ain't negotiating for you? Okay? And so, we're going to sing this. Come on. Give me some drums. Come on. I, I want to see if you really believe that you're free indeed. If I belong to the one who danced in heaven for me. If I belong to the one who ran to the cross for me. If I belong to the one who said, I ever lived to pray for you. If that's you this morning, I want you to open your hearts. And if you need to run, you need to scream, you need to shout. Okay, but just listen to me. Watch the ears of those around you. Okay, sometimes our ears are a little more tender than others. I know mine are because I wear hearing aids. And so, let's see if we believe this today. I am free to run. I am free to dance. I am free to live for you. You believe it? I am free. I am free. Come on, I am free, everyone. I am free. Run. Come on, you might not be running on the outside, but do some running on the inside. I'm free to dance. God, I'm dancing for you because you have set me free. Free to live for you. I am free to live for you. I am free. Yes, God. I am free. Who the sun sets free. Come on, everyone. Who the sun sets free. Free indeed. Come on, but say it like you believe it today. I have been bought and paid for. I am property of Jesus. And when the devil shows up, say, Devil, you can't have me. I belong to somebody else. Who the sun sets free? Come on, everyone. Who the sun Yes, Lord, hallelujah. I am free to dance. I am free to live for you. I am free to live for you. I am free. Come on, shout it out. Yes, I am free. Come on, shout it out, church. I am free. One more time, everybody. I am free. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise.
You can be seated. I turned my mic off. <laughs> I want the worship team to stay up here for just a moment. There's a song that we sing about being a slave, that I'm no longer a slave. And I want you to pull that up, Bill, if you would, please. Bob, if you could, uh, uh, no longer a slave to fear. I have been really, this last week, I've been just working through some things in my own mind and heart as I'm watching the goings-on of the world. And I, I not only am watching the goings-on of the world, I, I'm listening to the preaching of the preachers. And I, I am wonderfully blessed that I hear several of the big-time preachers, if I name names, you would say, wow, they're preach, preaching on the end times. Preaching that Jesus' return is even at the door. But one of the things that I, I hear them keep lacing through is this fear that is keeping God's people from just boldly stepping out. This fear. Now, there's so many acronyms for, for fear. False evidence appearing real is, is one of the famous acronyms. Another one is flee everything and run. I happen to like the thing that says, face everything and rise. Because that's who Christ is in me. That is who Christ is in me. It's not just some religion. It's not just some church thing. It's not just, it, it is, it is a personal relationship that tells me I've got nothing to be afraid of. God is working out what he is working in. And folks, I don't know if I can say this about you, but I can say it about me. I'm a mess. Don't look at me like that, because you are too. I just happen to be confessing it. I am a mess. Because I live in a fallen world. But God continually... If I can use the little, the little, uh, terms, you know, he, he's taking this mess and he's making a glorious message. And he's turning this victim into a victor. Because every one of my tragedies and troubles and tumultions are becoming triumphs. All because I'm not a slave to bondage, to fear. I had been bought with a price. And you know what he did? When he bought me, he said, here you go, my son, my daughter. I bought and paid for you. And now you're free. Maybe you're here this morning and you got all, all these things and it may not be many things. It may be one or two things. But you know what the Bible calls it? It calls it one thing. The sin that so easily entangles us. There's not a single man or woman here that can sit down if they write a list of problems and ailments that would get a very long list. Oh, they would have a dominant list. But I guarantee that all of those things will root back to one calamity. 
Don't know what it is. Don't know what it isn't. But I do know that God said it's time to break free of those chains. It's time to be delivered of that bondage. It's time to be lifted of that that burden and that weight. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if you have been bought for and paid for with the blood of Christ, who else has dominion? Well, pastor, the thoughts just won't go away. Folks, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I encourage you. They never will. Because the enemy will never stop. Because his whole thing is to keep digging away. Digging that he can unroot you. We were in prayer meeting this morning and somebody had a word of the Lord. They said there's people that that the enemy is trying to get them to unroot themselves. Folks, that's the deception. As I brought out last week, you know, we sit here and think we can do this alone in this world. I don't need church. I don't need this. I don't need brothers, sisters. I don't need, you know, in this fallen world, God says we desperately need the assembling of ourselves together. And then I use the analogy. Think about Adam and Eve. It was not a fallen world and they still fell. How much power of deception does the enemy have? That's why God says we've got to run together. I was running around looking for a guy to run back and uh, run together. <laughs> See, I saw all these women. I said, I can't run to them. I can run to them. Folks, we need each other. And you know what happens when I run to Bill? Or I run to Tony? Or I run to Dylan? Or I run to Victor? Or I run to... Uh, Dan or Bill or to Eula. I mean, Ivan. I said, Victor, didn't I? Yeah. Where's Victor? I saw him. There he is. Yeah. I don't know which one's better looking. It must be that confusion there. I said, but I could, I could, I can run. I can run to Sarah. I can run to, to, uh, to Frank's wife, a husband, uh, Mindy. <laughs> I can run to Mindy. I, I can, I can run to anybody. I need you. You need me. That's how God builds us. He said, I bought you, and I'm going to build you. I'll take the fear. I'll take the, that, that bondage away. So I wonder, just sitting right where you're at, if you know the words, close your eyes. If you don't know the words, they're very simple. They'll be on the screen. But I want you to sit back there, and I want you to think about who the sun sets free is free indeed. I am not my own. So when the enemy comes in, devil, go talk to Jesus. I belong to him. And Jesus will say, not negotiable. Leave him alone. Amen. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am. A child of God. Come on, think about it. We're just going to sing this for a few moments. But I want you to really think about it. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am 
Lord, I am bought with the price, so I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. You know, the Bible tells us that now we are God's children. Not in some distant time, not on some date of arrival, but when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became God's child then. Then and there, bought and paid for. Now the Bible says it doesn't appear that we know exactly what we're going to be like because we're in that transition mode. The Bible teaches us that we are sanctified when we're saved and we're being sanctified until the Lord takes us home. That word sanctified means to be made holy. You thought you did that on your own, didn't you? No, he does it. And continued sanctification means he continues to develop you. He continues to build you. And as he works that through, that's why you and I struggle with these inconsistencies in our life. Is anybody understanding what I'm talking about? We take three steps forward and two steps back. And we think of a horrible failure that we are. But folks, when I count three forward and two back, I'm still one further than I was. I'm on the winning end here. Well, what happens if I go, if I go 15 forward and 24 step back? Praise the Lord. You won't take that many steps again. But the enemy comes in and says, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of example are you? What kind of testimony are you? And you can say, bought and paid for. He's working out what he's working in. And then we simply go and sin no more. No place in my Bible does it say that God is sitting there with a big old stick waiting to slap you upside the head. Now, I used to think that years and years ago when I first became a Christian. I loved that Bill Gaither song, He Touched Me. But I always thought about it after I fell away. Somehow or another, God was sitting up there in heaven with a big old stick to hit me over the head. Boom! He touched me. But that's not the way it is. The way it is, is He says, come on. This is how I want to touch you. I just want to hold on to you. I just want to hold on to you. You say, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say that no man can can steal me from his hand? Yes, it does. But it also says that you can slip away yourself. There's sometimes we don't like this straight and narrow. Come on, somebody say Amen. Broad is the road 
Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there are that find that. Narrow is the way and narrow is the gate. Few there be that find it. You know the interesting thing about that passage? Both of them talk about somebody that's looking for something. And it's a lot easier to slip through that broad gate. But God said, I'm working on you. I'm building you. I'm developing you. Stop giving in to the fear. Because that's what he does. You're going to mess up anyway, so why not? I speak from experience, folks. Been there, done that. You want to see my closet? Full of t-shirts. But one day I realized I was bought with a price. And I'm no longer my own. So I just started saying, God, here it is. I'm yours. Devil, you want to negotiate? Go talk to my father. He has my deed of ownership. I'm no longer a slave. So I'm not going to give in to that fear anymore. Because right now, right now, as I speak to you, I'm a child of God. Right now. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. So let me talk to you one more time before we change the order of things. You're here, and you find yourself three steps forward and two steps back. You might tell yourself 15 forward, and I'm doing so good, so good, so good, so good. And boom. God said, I can break that chain. I can lift that yoke. I can fill you with that peace. But you can't do it without him. And in my Bible, the only place that I've ever found to meet God is at an altar. So whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're dealing with, I just want to take a moment. I'm going to open these altars. We're going to sing this song. And I'm not going to take much time because the reality is some of us like the struggle. Folks, I'm tired. I'm tired of the struggle. Pastor, you, you're, you're the pastor. You still deal with it every stinking day. Billy Graham said it, so I guess I'm in good company. He said there's not a single person that's not a hair breath away from falling. Every day, I got to make a decision which way I'm going to lean. How about you? These altars, I'm opening them up right now. You can come. If that's you, just for a few minutes, you say, God, it's time. I need, to, I need to see this broken. I need to see this broken. You need to come intentionally. Not haphazardly, not just because, well, that's the thing you do in church. No, intentionally. Because that's where the Word of God talks about prayer and supplication. That word supplication means intentionality. It means an earnestness. 
It means a dedicated purpose. There's still people. You need to, just, you need to fly out of your chair. Don't say, well, what are people going to think? Who gives a flip what people think? I care what Jesus thinks. You need to get and come. We're going to have our altar team come in just a minute. Not yet. Some of our leaders are going to come. And I want you just to stay here. I had an image in my mind. This altar is completely full. So if you're out there and you think, well, nobody will notice. Folks, heaven notices. And the devil notices too. And his whole strategy has always been divide and conquer. If he can keep a wedge between you, your church, your pastor, your friends, godly ones, of course, he ultimately keeps a wedge between you and your Christ, the one who bought and paid for you. So these altars are open. I encourage you to come. Everyone, I'm no longer. If the altar team would come, some of our leaders would come. I don't care what you're dealing with, church. I don't care what you're going through. It might be that three steps forward, two steps back. Praise the Lord, you're a step further. But you're tired of not going just one step back. You want two steps extra. It's time to see God break the yoke. It's time for God to set free. It's time to let the only one who can give you the victory, to give you the victory, to get out of your chair. Nate, you should be up here. Come on, others, you need to be up here. You need to be saying, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to make a decision today. I'm bought and paid for. I'm giving the ownership to him. Oh, I am. I am a child of God. I wonder if the rest of us could stretch our hands forward to these altars. If it was up you, you up here praying, you would want people praying for you. So stretch your hands, would you? Father, I thank you, Lord in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh, precious Lamb of God. I am a child, a child of God. Father, thank you. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Thank you, Father, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord, that we are no longer slaves to sin. God, we are no longer bound by the chains that would try to dispel us or to bind us. Lord, we are no longer. God, simply because of what you did at Calvary, though it was no simple thing, but Lord, by faith, you said we grab a hold of it. God, it was your goodness that gave us grace. And it's your grace that enabled faith for us to stand in a life that is no longer our own. God, that when the enemy comes in, we're able to tell him no. No. Now, I got, I, I know that sometimes we sit back and say, well, but it's not that easy. Yet it is. The hard part was paid at Calvary. The easy part was us standing up. All of heaven stands with us. All of hell falls before us. All we do is stand and say no. Thank you, Lord. 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 
Thank you, Lord. My sons and daughters, hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. Hear what your God has been trying to speak to your hearts individually, but now will speak to you corporately. You're always so easily moved. When I, the Lord your God, have paid the price. Oh, the enemy knows that that price was paid, yet his deception still wreaks havoc to my children. But it's not the ability that he has, but the availability that you've given. You choose to go one way or the other. When I told you not to, I told you to keep your eyes focused, to keep your feet steadfast. My word would be a lamp and a light to your path. It would guide, it would direct you as I have said. When my son walked this earth, he said, follow me. Walk in the way I walk. Hear the words and yield to them. Do not try. Do not try. Do not try. My sons, my daughters, <coughs> I have given you the power to do what I have set before you. I encourage you. I encourage you. Do not turn to the left or to the right when you're faced with that circumstance. When that situation avails to you, do not turn to the left or the right. Stand steadfast in me, in my word. And I make you a promise, my sons and my daughters. A promise that I made from the very beginning. A promise that I'll make to the very end. That every place you tread your feet, I will give you. And that I will never leave you, nor forsake you. But I'll be with you until the end of the age. Trust me, trust me, trust me, declares the Lord God your Savior. And I promise that you will go through nothing but I have not already paid the price for you to be able to handle. I will make this road manageable and doable that your life can walk it, says your Lord God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you, this morning? Now, those that are here, I just want to explain. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians... That there are gifts, many gifts. What you just saw manifest through our brother was the gift of tongues. It was not the prayer language of tongues. It was the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with tongues of men or of angels, God chooses to speak 
in the spirit. And he'll do it many times in tongues. It could be in any language. The language you just heard could have been a language from another place on this earth. Or it could have been a language from another place beyond this earth. Heaven. Well, the Bible says when a message in tongues is given, then it should be followed by an interpretation. Now, once again, we're not talking about the prayer language called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is available to everybody. The gift of tongues is available to everybody, but not everybody will yield to it. But when the gift is given, there should be an interpretation, which is just what you had. I was standing here and I was preparing to give that word that I had just spoken. And then Bill came up and said, I have a message in tongues. And that told me right there, okay, God, this is what you're doing. So I'm going to wait and I'm going to follow. And that's what we did. And so today I, I always want people to understand what transpires. Sadly, we come to church and too many times we don't understand what's going on. That's the demise that we have that churches don't explain things well enough. So that's what transpired. How many think God's a pretty good God? Come on, give him one more hand clap of praise. Worship team, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As I was praying this morning, I I have the privilege to pray with our intercessory prayer team, which is back in the office. They meet uh, in the office multipurpose area at 9 o'clock. If you are here and interested in being part of the intercessory prayer team, I would encourage you. Uh, to see Jenny Brett. Jenny, would you stand up wherever you're at? There you are. Stand stand up. Go go introduce yourself to Jenny and say, I, I feel the Lord has called me to intercessory prayer. And she will explain to you what intercessory prayer is because it's not just praying, folks. And uh, to be added on to the team would be incredible. I, I believe God is going to uh, give us so many people praying uh, intercessorily that uh, we'll have to bring it into the church, into the sanctuary, uh, and just bathing this room uh, with God's presence and God's word and and prayer. And so I I, I leave there, and then immediately uh, I you know I I see people and people have questions and stuff like that. But then I wind up back in the worship team's prayer room, and you know what our worship team does before they come out? They pray. They pray for God's anointing because, folks, we understand a victorious life. God's word says it's his spirit that breaks the anointing or breaks the yoke of bondage. Okay? And his spirit works through his anointing, and it breaks the yoke of bondage. So we're praying that God would would lift those weights off of you. That's why a lot of times you come to church, and many times you will feel a wonderful presence, but sometimes you will feel a, a great assault. And sometimes those assaults are given by other Christians. Okay? It's called people. Folks, people do what people do. And there's nothing you can do about what people do other than not let it affect you. Try to say that three times fast. God wants to grow people. And that's the, that's the passion of this pastor, is to grow people. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I, I want to look at this series that we've been talking about.
the grace and the goodness of God. And the title of today's sermon is, is God's Goodness and Grace Builds Us. The Bible says it's because of God's goodness that we return to Him. Return to Him. There's another word that we don't like to use in the Christian language anymore because it's become offensive, and that's the word repent. Well, repent is got the same letters, but it means return. It means stop doing what you're doing and get back to what you're supposed to be doing. That's what repent means. Return to me. And you know what the Bible says? That when you return to him, he will return to you. That's like the whole, the whole passage in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. The father never went to the son until the son chose to return to the father. And then just as soon as the son decided to return to the father, the father went running to him because God wants nothing more than what you saw with Bill and I earlier to embrace you and to hold you and to kill the fatted calf and to put a robe of righteousness on you and put the ring of ownership on your finger and say, bought and paid for by the blood, he's mine. And that's what God wants. But you and I have this Desire to follow the broad road. It's easier. It's made of yellow bricks. Oh, yeah, there's some witches and junk on the way, but that's okay. That narrow road stuff is an issue. How many ever found the narrow road stuff an issue? Good, I was hoping I wasn't the only one. But I like the end results of the narrow road. It's a lot better, don't you think? I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to be on the screen. And I want you to hear it. God's grace and goodness is the essence of our faith. If it wasn't for the goodness of God, we'd never repent. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we could never live a repented life. God's grace and goodness is the essence of our faith. Everything we have, hope to have. Let me share this because this is gonna, this is gonna be one of those things. What? Have not is due to faith. What do you mean have not? There's some things you don't have that you really wanted that God's grace and goodness kept you away from because you choose to take a step of faith. And when you stepped out in faith, God stepped in, in fact, and you saw, oh, that's probably not a good road. I better go this way. See, folks, the devil never stops. Are you okay with that? The devil never stops. You get over this hump. Well, you know, the devil was there, but I got past him. That's okay. Around the next hump, he's over there saying, did you miss me? But can I tell you something? What you're not seeing, because all we can see is the thing right in front of us, behind him is a couple 20-foot angels saying, yeah, we got him. But we can run to him or we can run to them. Everything we have or have not is due to the faith we stand in. 
Jesus was always saying, have faith in God. Hebrews chapter 4, look at this. For indeed the gospel was preached as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. Folks, there's lots of people that read this book. There's people that have this book. Uh, you know, I got it, I got it pretty good inside of me. You know, God's word's pretty good inside of me. And, and, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of passages and I know a lot of scripture and I can quote a whole bunch, but there's people that can quote circles around me. The problem is they have it in their head and not in their heart. How do you get it from your head to your heart? You put it on your shoes. The shoes prepared. To walk out the gospel of peace. Am I making any sense? It did not do them any good. Because it was not mixed with faith. And Hebrews 11 says. Without faith. You can't do anything for God. You can't live for God. You can't stand against the devil. You can't do it. See. So too many people. And this is one of the demises of the Christian church today. It's too many people are trying to serve the Lord believing in their natural ability. When God said you can only do it through my supernatural ability. What you witness, the tongues and interpretation, that's inter- that's a supernatural. It's not natural. That's why some of you said, I don't get it. It's not natural. See, Romans chapter 8 tells us that the carnal mind is at enmity are at ill will, are at conflict with God. It cannot understand spiritual things, nor will it yield to spiritual things. How many are with me so far today? God's goodness and grace builds us. Look at Acts 14. Therefore, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles on your lap because I'm, I got a scripture that you're not going to have on the screen. You're going to have to open up and look at, okay? Because I want you to grab this and I want you to know where it's at in your Bible. Acts chapter 14 is on the screen. Look at this. It says, therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Listen to this. Who was bearing witness to what? The word of his Grace and granting signs and wonders done by their hands. Why were the signs and wonders? Because they professed boldly and they stood firmly in what? The word of his grace. The fact that the word was made manifest and the grace of God allowed it to manifest in their lives. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, look what it says. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to, listen to this, the word of his grace, which is what? Able to build you up. The word of his grace. Folks, his grace comes through his word. It's by grace you are saved through faith. Let's open our Bibles to that passage, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace you are saved, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you with me so far? But I want you to go further. 
I want you to go further. What's verse 10 say? We are God's what? We are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ for what? To do good works. What is he saying? When you get saved, your feet immediately want to walk a different direction. And that's where the struggle begins. We're going to get into that in just a minute. That's where the struggle. Immediately when Christ comes into your heart, he gives you a new heart. The Bible says in Second Timothy or Second Corinthians chapter 15, we are a new creation. All things are passed away. Folks, I looked in the mirror after I got saved. I didn't look any different. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I have become new. My feet don't want to go those same places. That's why when you are tempted, because the enemy, remember, hey, did you miss me? He's not going anyplace. When your feet are wanting to go this different direction, God's saying, hey, here's my voice. Follow it. And the devil's saying, hey, did you miss me? Because he's right there. Oh, no, he's not on the straight road, but he's standing off the side and says, I got an easier road for you. Remember those? I mean, you didn't even have to tell your feet. It knew how to take you there. And now the Bible says in, 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 in Psalm 37, the footsteps of a good man are ordered. Well, God has changed your feet. He has put some new stuff in your feet, a new, a new bounce in your step. And your feet are wanting to go the right way. But there's a pull. Those other feet are, are used to going this way. We are saved by grace through faith. God gives us this gift. You can't boast about it. It's not something you can do of yourself. And then what's he say? He said, this is what I've done. You are mine. Bought and paid for. Created to do the good works. Let me finish the passage that I prepared in advance. For you to do. Before you were ever saved, God said, This is the steps you're supposed to be taking. The footsteps of a good man are ordered of God. Let me tell you something the footstops are ordered too. He said, When you're you're out fixing to do something stupid, He said, I'm stopping you. But it's your will. So what do you want? Mine or yours? We don't have to walk in those steps. We don't have to follow the toes that God has now given us, the shoes that God has now given us, the feet that God has now given us. Now, I want you to find that place, and I want you to keep that place in your Bible. And the reason I want you to do that, folks, is I want you to be able to look at this and say, God, 
You didn't create me for the life that I was living. You created me for a life that I am now to live. I want to start walking that way. His grace attached to faith. And I can do it every time. Why? He, he made it that way beforehand. Well, what happens if I don't? You just made a choice, didn't you? Are you with me this morning? Three people said amen. Now, let me get into the nuts and bolts of this morning. I know we got a late start, but that's okay. Somebody's been threatening to throw that clock away. Might be a good day to do it. Most have, look at your notes, saving faith, but they struggle with living faith. Two different things. We had an altar full of people, and I want you to listen to me. If you came to this altar and prayed, you know what you did at this altar? You made a decision. But that decision doesn't do any good if you don't decide to walk in it. A lot of people, God, you delivered me. You saved me. You helped me. And God said, yes, I did. What are you going to do about it now? Remember the adulterous woman? He didn't beat her with her adultery. He said, where's your your accusers? Remember the passage? You find it in in John chapter 8. Where are your accusers? You know what she said? She said, there is none man, no, no man. And then she looked into the eyes of the only one that could condemn her. And I bet she saw eyes of love, tenderness, and compassion and said, I didn't create you for this life why are you doing it oh it's the only life I know that's right that's why I'm going to give you a new life I just want you to walk it out all he told her he said just don't do it anymore pastor it's not that easy If Jesus could tell the adulterous woman that, and it was good enough for him, I think it's good enough for me. I think it's good enough for you. Folks, I'll leave that one in the chasms of my mind. Saving faith, look at the screen, is needed for eternal life. Living faith is needed For daily life. There's no other way to heaven except through Christ. My wife and I were, we were, uh, with Vince and Beth yesterday and, and you might have saw it on Facebook. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a country boy. I know some of y'all couldn't tell, couldn't tell that. But I grew up on the farm and, and on the farm, you know, if anything that was on the hoof was edible, pretty much tail to nose. And so they, I, I heard that they had, 
uh, mountain oysters available down at this place. And I hadn't had mountain oysters in forever. And if you know what they are, keep it to yourself. If you don't know what they are, Lord bless you. But Vince and Beth and Jewel and I went down there and I think, I think, I think the three of them braved one or two and I had a couple plates. I mean, it was just, oh, now take it back. My wife would not cross the chasm of her lips. And neither would Beth. Neither would Beth. Yet both of the women were saying, no way. But Vince said, hey, I manned up. Anyway, when we came back, we, we went out to this guy that was trimming trees and doing, and doing, um, the artwork and carving. Thank you. And, uh, we, we, uh, saw some beautiful things and, and we got a couple things and, uh, you know, found out, you know, Vince starts talking to him about the Lord. Well, I, uh, after we left there and we went away and, and found out we gave him an invite card and so on and so forth. And my wife and I came back to pick up the purchase and I started talking to him a little more in depth about the Lord and found out his background and found out stuff. And, and I, I talked a lot about this living faith because a lot of religions have what they call a saving faith. You pray a prayer, you're okay. The problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. Okay. Well, I believe in Jesus. The Bible says the devils in hell believe and they do something that most Christians don't do. They tremble. Now we think, well, I prayed a prayer. Everything's okay. Folks, it's okay as long as you're walking it out. Now don't, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to, to put you under some kind of confines, but the Lord does put it in a little bit of a confine. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. You can't sit back fast and set, fat and sassy in the world and think you're going to make it through that little narrow gate. Ain't going to fit. Most have saving faith, but we don't have living faith. What do I mean? Let me say it very simply. Most saved, most people who are saved, they believe it'll happen for everybody else, but they have a struggle believing it's going to happen for them. But look what our scripture said in Ephesians chapter 2. The works he prepared in advance for you to do. That means you can walk the walk of faith because he prepared it in your feet to get to your destination. He said, I can, I can walk it out because I already did. You know, this is a good series. I might get excited today. Romans chapter three. Now I'm reading this out of an old version called the today's English version. And it, it actually was written. It's a, it's another paraphrase. It's like the good news Bible. It's like the, 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 the living Bible. It's, it's more of a paraphrase. But I love the way that it said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. It says, understand that even though you're saved by grace, you cannot hook up to grace without faith. You can't hook up to God without faith. What's he simply saying? Faith believes. It is not concerned how it's going to happen. 
All that faith does is tells you it's going to happen if you will just hook up. You see, it takes living faith to get beyond the natural into the supernatural. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 3. Mend and make good whatever may be imperfect and lacking in your faith. It's talking about the battle that you and I are living in. As you read the whole of the passage, it's talking about the struggles, the difficulties. And God said, deal with that faith of yours. Deal with that faith of yours. God said, I gave it to you. It's a gift that I've given you. It's by grace through faith. You've got to mingle it together to be able to stand against the wiles or the deceptions or the assaults and temptations of the enemy. Am I making sense this morning? When Jesus became our Savior, the Bible says we became joint heirs. Everything that he has is ours at the moment of salvation. But we will only receive as much as through faith in Jesus Christ will reach out and take. Well, that was probably for Paul. Yeah, yeah. Paul can't relate to me. I mean, this is, this is 2018. Oh, yeah, I know he had deals in prison. Yeah, he had deals in beatings and stonings. Well, I know he's left dead couple times and prison. Yeah, well, what's, the, what's the big? Come on, you're locked up. Three squares a day. What's the big? Okay. But Paul can't, he can't deal with what I'm dealing with. Uh, you know, I'm living out in this world with a bunch of wolves. Really? How come if God did it for Paul? Why won't he do it for you? Did he like, did he like Paul better? Sean, did you like Paul better than you? I don't think so. What about Frank? Mindy? Did you know? Ruth, you think you like Paul better than you? I don't I don't think so. So if he did it for Paul, you think he'll do it for you? The problem is, is we we have this saving faith that says, Oh wow, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, and it gets stuck in our head. And we can't get into living faith because we won't put it on our feet. And if you won't put it on your feet, it'll never get to your heart. Our knower is broken. That's why we live as slaves to the world system. We have forgotten. Now we are more than conquerors. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19 tells us that his power in and for us who believes It's unlimited. It's surpassing. There's nothing measurable on this world that can even come close to understanding the power that works in us who believe. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do much more than we could ever ask or think. How? According to his power that works in us. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to attach faith to your grace if you're going to see God do what God said to do. And you know what? When Jesus went to Calvary, he said, I love you so much that I'm going to do it even while you were still lost in your sin. It is his power at work in us as we step out in faith to believe it to come to pass. Secondly and quickly, am I making sense today? Secondly and quickly, 
to see what we believed, we have to believe what we've seen. We have to believe God's word. We have to take God at his word. And if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. If it was good enough for David, it was good enough for me. If it was good enough for Deborah and Lydia and Ruth and Esther. Ladies. For such a time as this. So many never see simply because they give up in the midst of the battle. When the devil is drawing, when the devil is tempting, when the devil is deceiving, when the devil is, is perusing to try to find those, those hot buttons, instead of just saying, uh-uh, well, pastor, it's not that easy. I'm thinking it is, folks. Uh-uh. You know, when I go, uh-uh, all of heaven goes, uh-huh. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't be weary. Don't be weary. Don't give up. Now, I, as I've shared many, many times over the years, is because a lot of churches have chosen these days to preach all the blessings and the goodness and the promises and, and all the encouragement. When people start dealing with stuff, they just start falling by the wayside. Well, it's not what he preached. So my Christianity must not be working. So what am I doing? Say, Pastor... Why do pastor? Why do churches do that? Because it's easier to fill, fill chairs that way. And if we can fill chairs that way, we can generally fill coffers, offerings that way. Ultimately, there's going to be a gate that has to be walked through. And folks, I'm more interested in filling heaven than I am filling victorious life. That's why we do all the stuff we do. We got three or four radio programs every day. Uh, and pray for us. Uh, because the interesting thing is we've been getting phone calls lately. I've got three, three phone calls on the, on the phone, uh, different radio stations around the country. North Carolina, Indiana. I thought there was a third one. They're wanting to know, can we get your radio program on our station? And I, I, I have to sit back and say, okay, God, what are you doing? I know what I'm preaching. Maybe God wants to get it, get it out there because we're one of those people that will take the time to record the programs. Folks, I, I don't pretend to know everything as God's doing. I just trust him in everything that I'm doing. My feet are on a course. And I understand Psalm 34 that says the righteous person will face many troubles, but the Lord will rescue every time. Hebrews 5, during Jesus' life, and I'm going to expound on this for just a minute. I left part of it in your notes. I just thought it was kind of funny. 
in, in, in Hebrews 5, the Bible says during Jesus' life on the earth, they offered up many prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Well, I, I did a study on all of this, and I thought it was kind of interesting. When you look to study Hebrews 5, 7, how many medical people get involved into this study? And they're Christians, and, and they love the Lord, and uh, at least I'm, I'm assuming they do. And, and, uh, they, but I, I wrote down uh, something that I thought would be interesting, and, and I chose some words that, it'll, that you'll sit back and say, what? Physiologists love to dissect Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7. And they explain that, that human tears are a complex uh, secretive motorist phenomenon characterized by the shedding of protein laden fluids from the lacrimal apparatus that both closes and lubricates the eyes. Cleanses. Thank you. Now, that might be great if you're doing a medical paper. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in church. Well, I, I wrote that down because I thought, this is interesting. They look at it from a natural perspective instead of a supernatural perspective. Now, let me talk to you about this little thing called the... the it's called the uh, secret mortis. That, exer- that uh, uh, secretes lacrimal fluids. What I know about this operation, what operation, Pastor? Okay, those words just simply mean tears. But this physiologist loved that, and I thought it was really cool, so I put it in there. What I know about this function is usually sequestered to the confines of counseling. These tears are usually a visual sign of somebody who's been holding stuff inside for a long time. And now they're dealing with the uncontrollable realities of life. And they're learning, I've got to learn how to live by faith. I can't just say the words, I've got to walk the words. Now I'm quite amazed in all my years of counseling how those two little, uh, well the words, those two little lacrimal apparatus, about the size of an almond, can hold so much water. Because I tell you, when those tear ducts start flowing, those babies burst. Watch out. Where did all that water come from? It is something that God did inside of you. And I want you to look at me and listen to me. There is people right in this room that you've been holding back, trying to break loose, trying to let loose of God's healing fluids. Why do you think he gave you those tears? Because he knew that he was the only one that could count them, and he was the only one that could catch them. But he said, let him go, and let me do what I do best. When it comes to tears, a lot of us are reserved, especially men. Man, real men don't cry. Well, you don't read your Bible much because the Bible's full of tears. The Bible's full of brokenness and broken hearts. Scriptures are full of, of biblical heroes. They conquered Im- immeasurable enemies, but they couldn't conquer their tears. Scripture 
Many times we'll, we'll exchange pray and cry. Pray and cry. Folks, salvation is not just a prayer. It's a life that we live. And we might understand this saving faith, but this living faith we have, we have trouble with. Why? Because we believe it's for everybody else. All the stuff. I'm just going to struggle through this life. Folks, I don't have to struggle through. Yes, I'm going to deal with stuff. But when I give it into God because I no longer am my own and I belong to Him, God can do all kinds of stuff. But sometimes it means I'm going to have to be broken in order to be healed. Scripture exchanges the word pray and cry. Probably because they're not definable except together. There might be tears of joy. might be tears of pain. You might be so broken and so lost in and of yourself. You can't even cut. Your, your, your tears are so dry because you don't know how. There's a woman in the Bible named Hannah. So desperately she was praying God to give her a child. She had no more tears. She was so broken and so beyond herself. But God still counted every tear. And some of the greatest victories in your life will be followed or it will be preceded by an open gate of brokenness and tears. Why do tears? And why am I talking about this with goodness and grace? Because I want, I want to give you some examples just real quick. Okay, David's life brought so many tears that he asked God to fill a bottle and to write it on a scroll. God declared Job blameless and upright. God declared Job blameless and upright. Listen to this, folks. God declared Job blameless and upright, yet it didn't stop the tears because Job still lost everything. Lost everything. And God's the one that declared him blameless and upright. But if God did it for Job, why wouldn't he do it for you? Have you lost everything? Are you at the bottom of the barrel? You're so far down up, it's the only place you can look. God declared Job blameless and upright. Yet Job still lost everything. Hezekiah, so burdened with Israel that he prayed, God, give me more time. God gave him 15 more years. Jeremiah said, my soul will sob and my eyes bitterly weep if Judah doesn't repent. Timothy watching his mentor, Paul, leave, possibly for the last time, never to see him again, couldn't contain his tears. Paul, I talked about him a little while ago. Think about Paul. 39 lashes, stoning, shipwrecks, no tears, no tears. He, he called in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 11, he called these momentary afflictions, light afflictions. You know what brought Paul to tears? The indifference of God's people. The Bible tells us Paul was moved to tears because of the indifference of God's people. Because of false teachers, they let in that were leading them astray like the sheep. Not having a shepherd. 
because of immature churches aligned with the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. Folks, so many times we get so so caught up in, in secular life that we try to marry it into biblical life. Paul's tears would not stop falling when he knew that his time was almost done and they were having to go and live in this world. See, Paul knew you can't just have saving faith. You've got to have living faith. And God knew, Paul knew that only came because of the grace and goodness of God. And his tears flowed. He knew his whole life was about the Savior and about the one who died. And he said in Philippians 3, Oh, that I might know him and his sufferings. Because Paul knew God's grace and goodness. Let me talk to you about Jesus as I begin to wrap this up today. We know the story very famously where he was standing outside of the grave that Lazarus had been in for four days. And we know that the shortest verse in the Bible is found in John eleven thirty five, Two words. And those words are very simply, Jesus wept. But you know something, folks? It wasn't the beatings, the mockery, the thorns, the nails that caused Jesus to weep. You know what it was? He knew that death was not part of God's plan for creation. And he knew that because man had chosen to listen to the lie of the enemy and follow that disease and, and, and suffering and old age and death would soon follow. Why? Because the Bible says the soul that sins will die. Because of sin, death came into the world. I believe the reason Jesus is recorded there with two words that he wept because he was weeping for the brokenness of mankind. His weeping with the broken hearts that say, what do we do? Where do we go? What do we say? I come to this church week in and week out. Oh, yeah, and I preach a sermon and I bring a message. But there's not a time that I don't look out across your faces and thank God, what are they dealing with? What are they going through? Because I know what I go through. And I watch you and I, I get moved. And I say, God, so much pain, so much hurt, so much difficulty. You see, when Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb, oh, the pain, the sorrow, the death staring him, almost taunting him. Can you imagine what Jesus was dealt with at that day? What, what are you going to do? The devil is probably saying, hey, hey, what are you going to do about it? He's dead. He's mine. He's gone. It's done. It's final. What can you do? Well, ladies and gentlemen, at that time, Jesus yelled, come forth. God's goodness 
gave us God's grace. And because of that, we can do all things. Now, this is going to get <laughs> a little tough because in this part of the sermon, I'm going to get a little personal. Where this whole sermon was birthed from, this whole series was birthed from. As a pastor, I'm no stranger to pain. It's more familiar than the church bulletin and much more frequent than church potlucks. What I've been talking about the pain is what people go through. When I talk to people on the phone, when I sit across the table from people and I hear the pain, folks, there's plenty of it. But what I want to do is I want to take you for a moment and get very personal. I want to talk to you about the pain of the pastor. Every month, randomly, regularly, what I go through, and I'm doing this only because I want you to, I want you to look at things through my eyes for just a second. The critique and the challenge of the congregation and the dragon. I don't know a single pastor who doesn't hurt when he's dealing with somebody's unrepentant sin. Family feuds. Dissension within the congregation. I cannot tell you over the years the unsigned letters, notes, text messages, emails that I've received. You know, every time I do, I I tell somebody, well, I don't tell somebody, I tell myself, I'm not going to read them. I'm not going to read them, but I always do. And you know what I, what I read is hurt. I hear pain. I, I, I read discontent. Oh, it's not necessarily about me or even about the church. It's about themselves, and they don't know what to do about it because they've lived the life they've lived so long they don't know there's something else they can do. And so many of those lines are still etched in my memory. Oh, I, I sit back and I say, yeah, I've got rhino skin. That's a crock. <laughs> I pray every day. I try to get up early and, you know, I was out there, but I don't know, about five this morning and, and I was praying and I was calling out many of your names. As many as God brought to me. Oh, gosh. Because I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. But I'm telling you today, you've got more than saving faith. You've got living faith. And God's goodness gives you the ability to walk through all of this. This is why... I know what you're going through because I know how desperately I need God's goodness and grace. And it's because of that I can do the things I do. I can say the things I say. I can stand the way I stand. You see, it is a tender heart that operates in me that enables me to develop that thick skin. It's hard work and high expectations that I try to set that thick skin around. 
but it doesn't work very well. I've gone through more things than I'd like to even try to remember. But God's goodness and grace was always there. Pastor, why are you telling us this? Because I want you to know I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. Do I get discouraged? Yes. Do I consider sometimes saying, enough's enough? Yes. Do I sit back and say, the pain is needless and unfair? Yes. But I'm always concluded by understanding that God went through it first. And he said, if I did it, you can. Knowing God's goodness and having his grace is what enabled Jesus to go to the cross and ultimately the tomb. It was what enabled Paul to face prison and ultimately martyrdom. It was God's grace and goodness that enabled Daniel to walk and to face a, 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 a group of hungry lions. And because of God's grace and God's goodness, a man named Abraham was willing to take his son to the top of a mount called Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice, knowing that God is too good. To not have a reason behind what I'm going through. It enabled Joseph to go into the pit. It enabled Job to lose everything. The list goes on without ending. That God's grace and goodness makes a way to get you through everything. Folks, but it's not impossible to do this without pain. And my wife and I understand that it's impossible to pastor without Pain, but it's also impossible to pastor without God's grace and goodness. And no matter what the enemy has tried in everything, God's goodness and grace has overcome every single time. As the worship team comes, I'm just going to make a few more statements. The tomb couldn't bury Jesus then. Your current situation cannot bury you now. The tomb couldn't bury Jesus then. And your current situation cannot bury you now. Folks, Jesus had no natural reason to be able to overcome to never be successful in this world. Why? He wrote no book. He held no office. He never journeyed more than 200 miles from his home. Friends left him. One, betrayed him. Those he helped forgot him. Before his death, everyone abandoned him. But after his death, ladies and gentlemen, they could not resist him. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. You might feel like you're down for the count. You might feel like you've blown it for the for this last time. And this last time is only the preemption of the next time. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, if you'll make a decision that this time is the last time, there will be no next time. <laughs> Let me tell you that when Jesus died, so did your sin. When he arose... So did your hope. And when Jesus rose from the grave, listen to this. 
The grave was changed from a final residence to temporary housing. And two millennia, King Herod still has it right. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. And there's room for only one king, ladies and gentlemen. Back to that scripture that I had you look up, Ephesians 2. We are saved by grace through faith. God's goodness gave us grace. And God said, if you'll have faith, I'll give you all the power to live it out. God's grace and goodness is working in us, enabling us to do all things through Christ. And as far as possibilities and impossibilities go, everything is possible if you'll just believe. I don't care where you're at. don't care where you've been. If you'll step out, God will step in. And he'll get you where you're going. Amen? That's God's promise. That's God's grace. It's all because of God's goodness. Where are you at today? Every day, ladies and gentlemen, I gave you that little piece of look into me because every day I deal with it. Every day. Every day. Did I say every day? It's called life. But I have living faith. I have living faith. And I know I can do all things. And I confess that every day. I stand up every day. I could bow down, I could fall down, but I choose to stand up. What do you choose? What do you choose? Lord, I come, I confess, now I'm here, this is where I find my rest. Without you, without you, I got no hope. I fall apart. I completely fall apart. You're the one. But God, if I keep my eyes focused, my heart will always be on the path you set before As we rise to our feet all over this building. Can we make this our prayer? Every hour, every moment, God, except for you, that's me, I'm lost. Except by the grace of God that was given because of His goodness, I have no hope. So as we sing this song again, Lord, I come. Lord, I come. I make a confession of my faith. I confess. God, as I bow my heart, I my knees will follow. And I will find that rest. You. But if I choose to do it on my own, 
I'm going to fall apart. But God, if I keep my heart in you, you will guide, you will direct, you will lift. You will help my heart. Come on, sing it out, everyone. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. I want You are the only defense I have, God. And it's through your goodness and grace that I've become righteous. Oh, God, how I need you. Lord, I need you. Come on, lift your voice, everyone. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one My righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. We just sing that first verse again. Just the congregation, just lift up your voices. We have to come before the Lord and confess that we need Him. Lord, I come. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lift your voice. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. And you're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. We need you, Lord. This morning, we need you. We need your presence in our life. We need your joy. We need your peace, Lord. Would you come and fall on us? Let your peace fill this place. Let your rest fill this place. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. Praise you, Lord. I just pray that your week goes wonderful. I pray that that throughout this week you will find his peace and his joy. Let us end with the song, I Am Free. And let us go out of here with shouts of joy as the psalmists do.
last thing I feel compelled to tell you is to let Jesus' light and his face shine upon you. Where we were reading in Ephesians, it said, Wake up, O sleepers, rise from the dead, that Jesus' light would shine upon you. Praise you. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.